It's time to get informed. You're listening to Tapped In, a half hour to empower on WRES 100.7 FM in Asheville. Each episode will tap into local important resources, programs, events, and people that can make a difference in your life. Now here's your host, Rashida McDaniels. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to Tap In. I'm sorry, I am not Rashida, but I am Zakia Bell Rogers and my co-host... Leonard Jones. Yes, and we are here. We're both community community development specialists, and this is our first time presenting information as county employees on this show. I'm very excited about it. We're talking about something near and dear to my heart, and it will help many of us understand the history of our culture and understand the centralized database for slave deeds. Um, joining us today, and Drew, I am not going to butcher your last name, even though I am fam- famously known for it. We have Drew Reisinger, Reisinger, and Miss Deborah Miles, who's going to guide us through this information. There are extra- extraordinary guests who have been working in partnership with Slave Deeds of Buckham County Project. And uh, this is just amazing. Um, Drew, would you give us a few words? Yeah. Um, so... A long time ago, um, nearly a decade ago, my friend Deborah Miles was seeking some original records that she could put in the UNC Asheville exhibit that that was coming up for the Emancipation Proclamation. And she came up to me and she said, Drew, can we have some records of slavery? And I remember this incredible moment where I was like, Deborah, I'm sorry, we have birth records and death records and marriage records and property records and she's like drew because you have property records intertwined with those property records are records of slavery because slaves were considered property Mm -hmm. and it's this like critical moment in my memory of realizing we had to do something about this and make these more available than uh making sure that the public had access to these records Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So can you tell us exactly what are slave deeds? Yeah. Um, So essentially, um, because slaves were considered property, Mm -hmm. um, the record of their sale um, was essentially recorded in every register of deeds office and courthouse uh, in the country when a a slave was purchased, when a human was purchased into slavery. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And so you told us about how it got started. You and Deborah were, were talking about some important information. And so the original intent of this project, you wanted to make sure that the community was able to get um, these records for themselves and see um, if they had family members or where they came from. So the original intent of this project didn't start with me. Okay. Um, there was a handful of students um, and an incredible woman named Deborah Miles who originally kicked <laughs> this project off. Okay, can I can I tell yeah. that part of the story? So the world has to remember what it was like before there were was the internet, mm-hmm. before there was digitization. So long time ago, when the record room register of deeds was in the basement of the uh, Buckham County Courthouse, paralegals used to be down there going through microfiche Mm -hmm. and looking to make sure if you bought a house that you held title of it and it was a clear title over 50 to 100 years ago. So my husband Mark Rudow is a real estate attorney and one day he was on those microfiche records going back 150 years and he found one of these handwritten documents 
And so he printed it out and brought it home to me. And um, I was doing a lot of work with uh, high school students on primary source documents. So instead of reading a chapter in a history book and answering the questions at the end of the chapter, looking at actual documents and coming up with some um, critical thinking skills themselves. So um, the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation helped us get a grant, gave us a grant, and hired nine high school students, most of them football players, from Reynolds, Robertson, and Asheville High. Mm -hmm. And they spent the summer in the record room finding something like 150 deeds. And if you're talking about 16-year-olds trying to read this, <laughs> at, you know, they don't teach cursive anymore. So they really had to really learn some amazing research skills. Yeah. Hey, Deborah, listeners can't um, see what you're looking at. Will you describe what the record is you're looking at? Yeah, so this is, if you can imagine, like, old script. You know, like, somebody is sitting there with you know, not much more than a pen, and a, a quill, and a bottle of ink. This this deed is from uh, 1832, and there what used to be the Vance Monument. There was a courthouse there. Somebody walks in and says, "You know, we're going to transfer over this from Mr. Merriman to Mr. Woodfin, and this is how much they're going to pay, and this is the name and the age." And then they're writing out at what is now the Vance, what it used to be the Vance Monument at the courthouse on that spot. Wow. So I got a question with the, on the slave deed. What type of information will you find on there? Yeah, so it's going to have the person who, uh, who had, and I hate to use these words, the person who, the enslaver, the name of the enslaver, the name of the person who was quote unquote owned, the, the first name of the person. So in this case, the person's name is Sarah. Um, her age is approximately 21, the date of the cell. Sometimes there's a description, like uh, colorization kinds of descriptions. Um, sometimes, um, oftentimes it's multiple people, like, uh, God forbid, a mother and several children. Mm -hmm. um, the date of the cell. Uh, it's also written in sort of old English. It's because our, and Drew can talk about this, the way we record deeds still to this day is an English method. Mm -hmm. So all the, I'm really curious to go to like Jamaica and look at their enslavement records. Because um, I know that we've been to New York, um, we've been to Louisiana and Texas, and they're all the same. Mm -hmm. they're, they're all there. They're just not digitized yet. Yeah. Oh, so they're, they're included in the property um, documents. Yep. All, all the records. And so that means we're talking about millions of records from Maine to Texas. Wow. That are in these uh, records in courthouses all across the country. So I have another question. In terms of the slave deeds that's here to Buncombe County, what time period do they span? Um, do you have a... Yeah, so Buncombe County was formed in 1791 off of uh, Burke and Rutherford counties. Um, but what we've also realized is that a larger portion of what was Buncombe County was recently ceded indigenous land from the Cherokee tribe. Um, so I think when we're talking about what was here, I think it's important that we acknowledge that this was an indigenous area and a small portion of it was taken from Burke and Rutherford counties, um, but the entirety of this land was indigenous land. Hmm. Um, but essentially until the end of the Civil War, um, 74 years later, um, we have uh, records from 1791 to 1865 that record all the bills of sale. 
Um, and because Buncombe was this massive county of all of Western North Carolina counties that we currently know as Western North Carolina, um, we have slave records from a lot of other mm. westernmost counties um, in Buncombe County. Mm -hmm. um, if that helps. So, uh, how you. many how many enslaved people were documented? Like, do you have a, a guesstimation or an estimation? Yeah, this was one of the pieces of homework I did to make sure I told it to you right. Um, so, in 1860, the U.S. Census um, showed a slave schedule, mm -hmm. um, and there was. Um, 1,913 enslaved people enumerated in that census. Um, so our project identified the names of 684 people from bills of sale. So you can see that there's a gap there. Um, this project in, is by no means perfect. It doesn't get us all the way to naming every enslaved person. And I think that's so much of the challenge of what African-American genealogists are going to be faced with and have always been uh, fighting against is this lack of good documentation of who was enslaved. And it was part of the bigger emphasis of why I always thought we needed to make these more available is because in my office, we keep birth, death, and marriage records for white people. Um, and we did a really good job of keeping all of these records of people's lineages. And so when it came time for me to find my family's ancestry it was really easy i was able to go back to the beginning days of the country to find my ancestors information but when i've tried to help my african-american friends find their genealogical roots it is deeply complicated and in the role of register of deeds we need to make all public records more publicly available but specifically we need to do a better job of making those whose records we did a terrible job of keeping African-Americans more publicly available than they are. Mm -hmm. And I think Register of Deeds, Clerks of Court, and all of these um, critical positions throughout the country uh, who are charged with keeping these documents, we've got to do a better job of making them more publicly available in a digital way for people to find. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that as um, we've had history um, 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 digging back into my maternal side of the family and it leads us to a sample plantation it doesn't lead us to like these um, great places in the faraway land and you know it's it's painful but also um, educational and also it gives you hope that you see these folks who went through all these things lost family members lost our entire culture still thrive and I am their dream, you know? And so it gives us hope and and seeing these um, slave deeds come out and come alive, it also, it, you know, it, it gives us a sense of awareness that no, our history isn't perfect, but there are some records. So why did they keep um, and, and documents of enslaved people? Like, why did they keep them? It's you know, some of this, Deborah and I don't claim to be historians, but yeah. from what I can tell is for the same reason they recorded other expensive sales mm -hmm. in Buncombe County. So if you were purchasing uh, a head of cattle, if you were purchasing um, anything of large amounts, they'd essentially record that receipt within the county courthouse. Um, and something like an enslaved person was incredibly valuable mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to document that. Mm -hmm. um, and thank God they did, because yeah. it is literally the, some of the 
only places we can find the names of these humans um, in public record that still exist today. And my hope is the more we bring these documents to light, the more we bring other resources to light, like cohabitation records and last wills and testimonies, I think it. I think there is a lot of resources. We're just going to have to pull them from a lot of different places yeah. to give African-Americans a fighting chance to find the names of their ancestors. Mm -hmm. So I got a question in terms of doing that family research. So I'm like third generation here in the Asheville area. So I know my family history, probably around the 1930s or 40s, probably um, found themselves in Asheville, North Carolina. And just growing up and looking at the obituaries, growing up, a lot of um, African-Americans in Asheville probably find their family history tracking back to South Carolina. So I know Buncombe County has this lady, are y'all aware of like um, South Carolina, places in South Carolina that's also making their slave deeds available because I know if, if I go back beyond early 1900s, I'm gonna find my, I'm back in South Carolina. So mm -hmm. how would that discovery go or, or are you aware? Yeah, so you know, this project started probably 90, 97, 98 uh, and then um, Drew was the first registrar deed in the whole nation to put them online, uh, and has since. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, th this is what this is what leadership is. It's it's normalizing the conversation. This is setting the expectations. And he was also chair of the registrar deeds of the hundred registrar deeds across the state. And he really advocated uh, for for those folks to to do it. And then worked with UNC Greensboro to get a big grant from the National Archives. And now. Many more are on front for the state of North Carolina. Uh, but when we, when we early in 20, maybe 14, we were working with some folks in Clemson mm -hmm. and the University of Georgia, and we were trying to organize it uh, through a, a three-state coalition. And we found out from there that in South Carolina, um, a lot of their enslavement records were put into the archive, the state archives in Columbia. Mm. So some it, some states are going to be different on where the deeds are located, but they exist. We we saw some of them. Uh, I know the person who knows where they are. So if you're interested, we can put you in touch with with oh, him. Thank he, you. So Leonard, just to follow up on that point. Um, the, this tri-state effort was like, we know slaves were bought and sold across county lines and across state lines. And so we knew that like pretty early on, just having a Buncombe County database was gonna be insufficient. So this idea of like, okay, let's see if we can partner three neighboring states together with the connections that we have. And can we get a big grant to digitize these three states records? And we totally failed. Um, but we got great feedback from the National Archives on how we should retool our grant writing application process to do something that was more tailored and more reasonable that they thought we could pull off. So we focused on just the state of North Carolina. And we had a friend in the state archivist, Sarah Kuntz. And we also had um, a university who had already created this idea of the Digital Library on American Slavery, where they had already been pulling in runaway slave ads from across the country that they could just potentially retool and include bills of sale and slave deeds. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there is hope. There are a lot of people in Virginia and South Carolina and Georgia who are already looking into these challenges. Um, but the hope that Deborah and I had was, can we create a framework that other people could fit their bills of sale into? And they look different in every state. So it is complicated. Um, but the hope here is that we can create this framework that can be replicated in state after state after state. And part of the beauty of this system, this statewide system we've created, is 
these are all public records and we're not um, putting any trademarks on it. The goal is that this is all freely available. Um, we wanted to partner with Ancestry.com or some of these other places early on, but it was a deal breaker for Deborah and I saying, we do not want there to be a price on these records that have already been inaccessible for generations. Um, so the route that we're going is impressive. Um, just um, last month, two months ago, we announced that um, our new website is live um, through UNC Greensboro and 50,000 names of enslaved people have been, been made publicly available. Um, so it's an incredible resource that spans 13 counties across the state of North Carolina. Um, and it's building on this work that Deborah's high school students uh, started in the bowels of the Buncombe County Courthouse uh, sifting through records. So it's, it is wild to think of this like early Buncombe County project and what these young African-American football players were doing um, that spawned off this incredible idea that so many people are going to benefit from from years to come. Now, what year was that? I'm, I'm thinking that was like 99, okay. 99, 2000, the summer. They did it over two summers. They also uh, went into the North Carolina room at Pack Library mm -hmm. and went through all the microfiche mm -hmm. for the newspaper ads. So they that's where they found a, um, a newspaper ad that talked about the the sale of enslaved people on the steps of the courthouse on one particular day in July. So we that's how we, we have evidence that there were slave sales that took place mm -hmm. on the footprint of what used to be the Vance Monument. Wow. Wow. So that so those 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 um, footprints where the monument was and it, it that I think that represented the people who were enslaved that were sold or something like that. Somebody was saying that that was dedicated to them or maybe I'm, I'm wishing that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of the, part of the, the, the reconciliation we have mm -hmm. to do with that, with that, with that spot mm -hmm. is that it, it held the memory of the United States of the Confederacy mm -hmm. uh, while it was on this, on this pace, place of, um, of, Hellaciousness mm -hmm. of 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 the 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 evil of what is part of our American story, and yeah. that that's why we need a new narrative for for that footprint. Another question I just have in terms of especially talking about racism and slavery in America, had there been any kind of pushback with kind of revealing? Because I guess you would see the name of the owner, families of the enslaved as well. Have y'all faced any of that, or has it been just an open kind of like okay, time to move on? Yeah, so there's one story that gets me. There was this one woman by the name of Shada Vance um, mm -hmm. who called into my office, and she was asking if her ancestors were enslaved. Mm -hmm. And she'd seen some things in the documents we've got online, and she's like, can you confirm this for me? And I'd never been asked that question. You know, makes you sit back and, like, stop for a second. Mm -hmm. And um, so this young woman was trying to find her ancestors, and... We started looking through what records were publicly available, and then I remember uh, Priscilla Vance's uh, last will and testimony, um, which talked about the slaves that she had um, sold or was going to be giving over to someone else to sell. And this ancestor of Shada Vance was there, and Priscilla Vance was uh, the grandmother of 
Zebulon Vance, who the Vance Monument is named after. Um, so in short order, we realized that this very specific person that um, this woman in Washington, D.C. was trying to find um, was enslaved by the governor's family, toiled on the Vance birthplace, which is still which is still a historic site, and they're doing incredible work over there um, to tell a more accurate narrative. I'm very impressed with the Vance birthplace these days. But if you think about what she now thinks of her family name, she sees it on a monument when she comes to Asheville, and she goes and looks at the land in which her ancestors toiled, and it's a state historical spot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here, mm -hmm. and the work of trying to find your ancestors is complicated, and it is emotional, and I think there's been some real um, challenges that she was struggling with that she wanted to come to the answers, f she wanted to find answers to, and I think she found that it was helpful to have a better, accurate understanding of who her ancestors were and what life they lived, mm -hmm. and... Yeah, her story still grips me. Yeah. And I understand why it's important for us to learn about this information. But why is it important for you all? What, what, what makes this so important for you all to do? Um, I, th I think this is, this is the work that uh, people who have white skin, as I do, have, have a responsibility. I know that these, this is part of my genealogy as well. So it's a, it's a part of reconciliation. It's a part of reparations. It's a part of being able to be the kind of pluralistic democracy that was the, that's the dream of all of us. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the, the necessary steps to get to that spot. So uh, just to follow up on that, I think um, the lens that we're looking back on history is worth talking about. I think it's essential that we try to move away from a revisionist history as much as we can. Mm -hmm and that we are bringing to light the fact that our history is not always clean, it was harmful and dangerous, and that learning about this history isn't dangerous or harmful, but it is essential. Um, when you read the story of Sarah Gudger, um, Deborah just read uh, the beginnings of her bill of sale, which told us very little information about her. We learned that her name was Sarah, um, but the rest of the story was untold. Um, she happened to be one of the longest living people who's ever lived in Buncombe County. Wow. And she lived to tell her story uh, in the early 1930s. And it is written down and we have her picture. But you read through her memory of what slavery looked like and it was awful. So the revisionist history that was often told to me about slaves in the mountain were that um, slaves were close with their master. These weren't massive cotton plantations. Mm -hmm. These were people helping in the tourist industry for Charleston visitors coming up. But if you read the words of Sarah Gudger and what she went through um, out on the farm in Reams Creek, um, it was a life of toil, it was a life of pain, and she was set up for a very challenging life uh, for the rest of her years. Because she didn't get education, she was destitute. Um, but I'm so glad that her story lives on and that we can tell it today. So how old did she um, lift up? What was her age when she passed? So because we keep death records in the Register of Deeds mm -hmm. office, um, she lived to be 121 years old, which wow. is the longest living person in the history of Buncombe County. The challenges there are that it's she, she doesn't know her birthday. She was never told her birthday, and therefore she didn't write it 
down on mm-hmm. the death record. Um, so there are challenges. We don't have a birth certificate to verify that she was born that year, but historians at the time of her death went back and checked through her story and it all checked out. Um, so it's fascinating. She's an incredible person and everyone should go listen to the story of Sarah Gut- Gudger. Wow, Sarah Gudger. G-R-U-D-G-E-S? G-U-D-G-E-R. Okay. And just before we wrap up, I just also, so if people listening today want to do this um, research or be, uh, where can they go and find this information about the Buncombe County Slave Deeds? Yeah, so the easiest place is to go to buncombecounty.org. We've got links up on our website. If you go to buncombecounty.org slash slave deeds, um, it's a direct link. You can see a short video about the early project that Deborah and I uh, were working on. And you can find links to uh, the digital library on American slavery that's held at UNC Greensboro. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, We're getting ready to start wrapping up. Um, Can you all give us some last words or some information that you think that's important that we missed asking? Um, You know, Maybe we think things aren't possible, mm-hmm. but if you just take the next step and you're curious and you and you believe that this is important, you take one step and that leads to another step and you meet somebody that leads to another step and I believe that there will be a day where this information from Maine to Texas is all available and transparent and uh, folks will be able to reconnect in ways with their ancestors that uh, were never possible, and that's going to make things possible in the future that we can't yet imagine. Um, so I think normalizing these conversations, having these conversations with our families uh, in, in the white community as well, uh, uh, being curious about who our ancestors were and the role they played in this, we are all part of the American story. And um, the more we know about it, the, the better able we're, we are to create the pluralistic democracy that we dream of. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it right there. <laughs> well, I'd like to say thank you so much to both of you, Drew and Deborah. It is always just so nice to see you all and to see you outside of Facebook right now during this time. Um, my co-host, Leonard Jones, um, you know, he's also absolutely amazing. Came with some great questions today. Thank you. Um, just want to say this to our listeners. You know, everything in American history is not beautiful. But when we sit down and we take a moment to really look back and to see how far we've come and how far we can go, it is worth the look back. So if you want more information, you want to find out how you can um, contribute, where should they go again? BuncombeCounty.org slash Slave Deeds. And you have been listening to Tapped In with Zakia Bell Rogers and Leonard Jones and our two (laughs) special guests, Drew Reisinger and Deborah Miles. Thank you so much. <laughs> and have an so amazing much. week. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Zakia. Thanks for listening to Tapped In, a half hour to empower on WRES 100.7 FM in Asheville. If you missed any important information from today's show, find it at buncombecounty.org. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon with more great topics.